0: Our Old Testament reading is Isaiah 53, 1 through 12. Isaiah 53, 1 through 12. Let's give our attention to God's word now as it's read. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, For the transgressors. And our New Testament text, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray and ask him to bless it now to us. O gracious God, we pray once again that you would open our hearts to receive your word. Make us teachable and humble, not wise in our own eyes, but knowing that, that wisdom comes from you. Lord, we pray that you would reveal your glory and your goodness, your grace and your truth to us in Christ, our great high priest, by your word and spirit now. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Over these weeks leading up to Christmas, we've been unpacking together the great gift that is ours in Christ. Unpacking it, seeing, seeing, you know, why is this such a wonderful gift? Why is Christ such a wonderful and glorious gift for us? And we've been looking, as, uh, as we've done that, we've been looking at these three offices that Christ fulfills. Um, these three offices we see in the Old Testament of prophet, priest, and king. Christ comes and all three are found in him. All three are brought to their fulfillment in him. He's the greatest prophet, the greatest priest, and he's the greatest king. Last week, we were looking at how he is our priest, the one who makes atonement for our sins, the one who brings us into the very presence of God, that God sent Jesus in order to be the one who would come, make the sacrifice for our sins that would last forever and bring us forever into the presence of God no more exile no more dwelling far from God far from his blessing under his curse but our sins washed clean we're brought in and we're given a home in the holy of holies the presence of God we said that Christ uh, Christ brings us into the heavenly sanctuary so that in, in Christ our priest we live in heaven already. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly places already. That's wonderful. Isn't that wonderful? Glorious to consider. We have a place in heaven in Christ. But we also live, we also live here. We live in the, in the spirit. You know, We're in the presence of God in the heavenly temple. But we also live here. And not all our days here are merry and bright. Even as we wish they might be, um, one Christmas poem I, I like a lot describes life in December like this: enduring the cold and also the flu, taking the garbage out and keeping the sidewalk shoveled. Right, that's what it's like here. Uh, we get sick. There's COVID. There's RSV and whatever it is next. Right, and there's there's uh, the, you know the, the the house is messy again, and then uh, and uh, and uh, and then and then there's our sin. Right, sometimes we're tired of sinning. Sometimes we're tired of not sinning, right? Sometimes we're sick and tired of the sinful habits. Sometimes we're sick and tired of fighting the sinful habits. And we'd rather just give in to it. Um, tired of being selfish? Tired of not being selfish, right? Uh, we feel both these things. And this is just the beginning, right? We could go on and on talking about all that plagues our life in the muck and mire of this, this world. Um, the cancer, the persecution, and all, all of this puts pressure on us directly or indirectly to ease up on, on, on the whole Christianity thing, uh, to, to just take it easy a little bit and uh, not, not try so hard. Uh, we're flying into this strong headwind. There, there, there are cultural pressures against us. Uh, uh, there are the pressures of indwelling sin. There's the pressure of just being worn out and tired and not wanting to bother with it anymore. Um, You know, wouldn't it be easier if I could just relax, sleep in, skip a Sunday once in a while? Um, Wouldn't it be easier if uh, I didn't have to get up in the cold and the dark of December and read my Bible and pray? Uh, Wouldn't it be easier if we could just kind of chill for a little while, relax about the Christian life? So in light of that, what do we need? We, We need Christ, our priest. We need him as the priest who not only cleanses our, of, our, of our sins and uh, brings us into the heavenly presence of God spiritually, but we need him as our priest who prays for us, who, who sees us in this stuff and, and prays for us and gives us strength to persevere, gives us strength to keep on being faithful, gives us strength not to harden our hearts, not to drift in the Christian life, to be faithful and to press on in the Christian life. Christ, our high priest, is the reason we can hold fast in the faith in the midst of ongoing life in this sinful and suffering-filled world. All that you need is found in Christ. And what I want to do now is unpack, as our text does for us, um, <clears throat> Christ, our high priest, as the one who inter- intercedes for us. So the text the text begins verse fourteen, saying that Jesus, our high priest, is sufficient for us. He is sufficient for you. Uh, verse, verse fourteen. Um, what kind of a priest is Jesus? The text says that he is he is superior here. Um, he's superior to all the priests that came before. He is, as verse fourteen says, a great high priest. So he's 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 not just the high priest. Uh, you know, one of one of the sons of Levi. But he's the great high priest. You know, the greatest high priest, head and shoulders above everybody else in, in a class of, of his own. All the priests before him were just shadows. They were pointing to him. They were, were dim reflections of him. He's the reality. He's the great high priest who has come to offer the sacrifice that would work. That would last forever. The author highlights Jesus' superiority and sufficiency as our priest in, in two ways. First, he says he's the one who has passed through the heavens. We touched on this a bit last, last week. Jesus is the one who has passed through the heavens. Think of those Old Testament priests. They passed through the, 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 the curtain, that, that big veil that hung down over the Holy of Holies. They would pass through that curtain and go into the holy place. They could go in once a year, offer their sacrifices there, come back out. They don't, they don't live there. They don't stay permanently in the presence of God interceding for you. They would go in once a year on one day. But Jesus, He goes permanently into the heavenly places. He enters the very heavens of God. The, 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 the heavenly temple of which the earthly temple in the Old Testament is just a copy He will never leave that holy of holies. He'll represent us there before God forever. What what does this mean for us? How is the superiority of Christ in this first aspect here, that he's the one who is in heaven itself, mean for us? Well, it means that he is the priest who's sufficient to bring us also there, to heaven. He's, He's sufficient to bring you to heaven. Uh, He's sufficient to bring you into the presence of God. He's our pioneer. If you ever go out hiking, uh, maybe like me, uh, uh, you you think the same thing. You you look at this path that's been cut. You're hiking this difficult mountain, and and, and someone went before you, and uh, they, they made a path for you. They cleared it. They, they put steps in tricky spots. They might, might have put an iron bar here and there in a place where it's a little steeper to hang on to to climb. And, 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 uh, and you look at that and you think, what a, what a lot of work went into this. I could not climb this mountain if someone hadn't gone ahead of me and made this path for me so that I can climb it. Um, and and, and, uh, and uh, that's, that's in a sense what Christ has done. He's, he's gone up the heavenly mountain of God. He's he's cleared the path before us. He's blazed the trail. No one else could make the ascent. He went up first. He went ahead of us. And He's not there on top of the mountain looking down at us lowly mortals who can never make the ascent. He he said, no, I, I cleared the path for you. And by My Spirit, I come down and I lead you. I'm your guide who takes you every step of the way up into the presence of God. No other priest can do that for you. Only Jesus is sufficient. Second, verse fourteen tells us that Jesus is the high priest who is the Son of God. He is the priest who is God's own Son. He is the priest who is eternal God. He's not a creature. He's not. A, he's not. A, he's not. He's not just a man. He is, he is God and man. He is the one who is uh, the very God of very God. As, as we said earlier. Hebrews has been building the case for this since chapter 1, verse 1, that Jesus is Jesus is the greatest. He's better than Moses. He's better than angels. He's better than anything else, anyone else. He is the one who is God's own son. And that means that he'll be priest forever. He'll reign, he'll, 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 he'll he'll keep that priesthood forever and ever for us. He, he won't change. He won't wear out. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The one who is our priest, always the same. For us in heaven. So Jesus is the superior priest and therefore the sufficient priest for us. That's the first thing that Hebrews 4 lays out. The the second is this that your high priest sympathizes with you. So he's sufficient for you, he's also the one who sympathizes with you. Verse 15 says this We do not have a priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. We just, we just were looking at right. Christ is the superior priest. He's the great high priest. Um, uh, he's, he's the Son of God. But one of our temptations as we look at that might be to think, well, you know what? He's the Son of God, the great high priest, and I, I'm not. So he doesn't understand what I'm going through. It wasn't as hard for him as it is for me. right? How could the first place winner of the Boston Marathon understand how hard it is for me to run just a mile? Right? That kind of a sense. Jesus, yeah, he could, he could do it. But he doesn't get what it's like for me to struggle through gasping for breath, barely making it in the Christian life. That's a temptation that we would struggle with but the text says verse 15 we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses how weak did Christ become in his incarnation did he become as weak as you when he became man did Jesus get as tired as you get did he feel as worn and frail as you sometimes feel Did Jesus know the pains and frustrations and sorrows that you know? Yes, he did. Not not just equal with yours, greater than yours. He knew deeper sorrow than you, deeper weakness than you have ever known. He, 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 tasted, he tasted more of suffering than you will ever taste. He became more poor, more despised. The man of sorrows, as we read. Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. So he's not, he, wasn't, he wasn't privileged. He didn't get special treatment. He, 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 he bore our sorrows in his very flesh. Verse 15 goes on to say that he was tempted. And all points as we are yet without sin. Now, Jesus, being God, could not sin. Not at all possible. He, he could not feel an inner inclination towards sin. Uh, he couldn't desire sin. But he could be tempted in the sense that he could be tested. That, that all kinds of outside forces could come around him and, and, and do their worst to him. He was tested by God, wasn't he? he God placed him in the hottest part of the fire. Right, put him in the crucible, in the hottest part of the fire. Jesus suffered more than Job, infinitely more. He was tested by Satan. Satan threw everything at him. All the, all the hosts of hell descend on Palestine during Jesus' life and ministry, and they pour out their hate and their cunning to try to destroy him, trip him up, bring him down. Jesus is there in the wilderness of Judea, 40 days without food. He's experiencing hunger and weakness, and Satan comes and tempts him. And uh, Jesus, Jesus resists at every at every point. Um, uh, Jesus resists, and then on the cross, right? Jesus on the cross insists on keeping to this path of weakness, suffering uh, before before he is glorified. So he's tempted at every point as we are, yet without sin. And so he sympathizes with us, and brothers and sisters. That sympathy didn't just last for his. 33 years or so on on this earth. His sympathy with his church continues. Even in heaven, his sympathy with you and me and and what we are going through continues. He still has great compassion on us. He counts our suffering as his own suffering. He says to Saul on the road to Damascus, uh, Jesus already ascended. Saul is going to persecute Christians and Jesus appears to him uh, out of the sky and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because Jesus sees the sufferings of his church as the sufferings of his very own body. And he has as much compassion on your suffering and as much fellow feeling with it as you have with the suffering of your own body. He sympathizes. This is such an encouragement to us, brothers and sisters. Um, it, It teaches us that there's nothing that he calls us to do that he hasn't done himself. That uh, This road that we're walking is not a road that he would not take. Right? He's not barking orders from the back. Say, yep, go take that hill, boys. No, he's at the front. He, he's leading the charge. He's there ahead of us. He's already, he's already done this ahead of us. There's nothing like having someone who's done it is there to, to encourage us. remember when my, my, uh, when my wife and I were getting ready to have our first child. Um, she was glad that I was going to be there to encourage her. Uh, but she was, she was really glad that her mother was going to be there to encourage her. Or because her mother had done it. She'd been through it. So when she said, you can do it, you can do it, right? She was herself a living proof of those words. And, and there was a way that, that, that she could say that that I could not. And our Lord Jesus says, follow me. I've done it. My spirit's in you. I sympathize with you. I know what you're going through. Follow me. Follow me. You, you can do it by my grace. So what, what, where are you weak? Where do you need Christ? His sympathy. His compassion. Seek Him, brothers and sisters. Seek the Savior, your High Priest, who sympathizes with every single weakness, and who can give you the grace to press on and to persevere. So He sympathizes with us. Then, our, then a third, our third thing this morning: Your High Priest makes supplication for you. We see this also in in verse 15. Jesus is not only the priest who sympathizes with us, but he's also the priest who makes supplication for us. He prays for us. He prays for grace for us. Verse 15 is a command to us. as as God's people, to seek Him, to seek the throne of grace, and to pray. But underneath it is this implicit idea that Christ is the one who is there praying for us, that He's the one who's made this throne of grace a throne of grace, and He is there praying for us, as Hebrews 7.25 puts it. Therefore, He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. So Jesus stands before his Father, and just like the Old Testament priests who wear a breastplate with the twelve precious stones representing the twelve tribes of Israel into the presence of God, Jesus bears us, represents us before the presence of God. And he, he pours out prayers for us on our behalf. Jesus looks out over his church. He sees what his church needs and he sees what every single member needs of all the millions and millions of people of his church he sees what all of them need and he prays for it for them he has this great attention to us as he prays for us richard baxter a puritan puts it like this though he cannot weep or grieve now as he did on earth yet he can love now as much as he ever loved And therefore he looks down from heaven upon every particular member. He sees that this man wants this grace. And and that man needs that. And the other is in danger of this corruption or that temptation. And he is daily carrying on the cure. You see not your physician. He stands out of your sight. But he sees you. And it is he that does all for you that is done. He sees every need. This want, that need, this, 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 this struggle with sin, he sees it, and he is praying for you in it he doesn 't he doesn't pray like we pray he doesn 't pray with uncertainty about the future like we do right we 're not sure what the future holds. We, we pray, Lord, would you please do this or grant this um, that 's not, that's not how he prays. He prays as the one who knows what the future holds. Um, his prayers, the content of his prayers is, that, is, that, is especially this, that, that God would apply to us everything that Jesus accomplished. Jesus came, he, he accomplished our whole salvation, and now he's saying, Lord, now apply it to them. Give them justification. Give them adoption. Give them sanctification. Give them perseverance. Give them peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Give them all these things, Lord. John Flavel, another Puritan writer, puts it, Like this, he has not only offered up his blood to God upon the tree as a full price to purchase pardon and grace for us, but lives in heaven and that forever to apply to us by his intercession all the fruits, blessings, and benefits that the precious blood of his deserves. Jesus' life and death purchased our salvation, and now he is praying that the Spirit would apply it to us that you persevere in grace, that you'd know the sweetness of the full riches of of, of his salvation for you in Christ. And Flavel, as he continues to write, this, this Puritan pastor, he writes, he is ever begging new and fresh mercies for you in heaven and will never cease till all your needs be supplied. Praying that we'd be saved to the uttermost. That we would know the riches of what he's purchased for us by his own blood. So he's praying. Will, 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 God, will God hear his prayers? Will God answer his prayers? Will these prayers be effective? Absolutely. Not a word of what he asks his father will be denied. This is what Jesus is owed. All right. he, he, he's praying for what he purchased. He, these blessings that he's praying that God would give us are, are his to give. They're His by right. And so He is, he is, uh, he is uh, pouring out on the church exactly what He has purchased for the church. So there's no doubt that these things will be given to us. And then also, God, as He, as he hears the prayers of His Son, does not begrudge Him these prayers. He doesn't grumble about these prayers His Son is asking and, 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 and wish He didn't have to give these blessings to us. God, this is exactly what the Lord delights to hear from His Son. It's exactly what God wants to give to us. Jesus is praying for those whom the Father loves. He's praying for the Father's children. And as one writer puts it, the Father's heart is ready to grant the best and greatest mercies to His children. The Father's heart is ready to grant the best and greatest mercies to His children. This is what God has given us in sending Jesus to us. The priest who is superior to all others and sufficient for all of our needs. The priest who sympathizes with us in our weakness. The priest who supplicates and prays for us and meets all of our needs according to his mercies in Christ. So in light of all these things, what should we do? The text holds out two commands. It, it unpacks these reasons and it gives us these two commands. Number one, in verse 14, it says to hold fast the faith. Hold fast the faith. The text says, let us hold fast our confession. Uh, confession here doesn't mean confession of sin. Uh, here we're talking about confessing your faith, confessing the truth, saying, yeah, this is what I believe. Uh, th- th- this, is, this is the gospel. Uh, th- this, this, is the, this is the true doctrine of the Word of God. The Christians who received this, uh, this, this letter sermon, Hebrews, um, they were facing really intense pressure, to let go of this confession of faith, to, to let go of this gospel, not to hold fast the faith. Some of them are being thrown in prison. Some of these Christians have gone to those in prison to visit them uh, and, then, and then had their property vandalized and plundered while they're away. Um, these Christians are, are uh, finding that the Christian life is hard. It's full of discipline and difficulty. And, and there's, all these, there's all these things that are causing them to want to drift. Brothers and sisters, you, you know what that's like. We know what that's like. That, that tendency to to drift in the Christian life. Um, uh, to get complacent. Let, 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 let things slide. You, you stop caring so much about sin. You stop caring so much about holiness. Um, you just, you just want to take a day off. You shrug your shoulders at the gospel of grace. It doesn't amaze you anymore. Um, and and that, that when that starts to happen, you're starting to drift. And, and, and it's like, uh, you know, you, you leave out... Uh, I don't know, you leave out a block of cheese unwrapped and, and, and it starts to get crusty and hard, right, that first layer. And the longer you let it sit, the harder it's going to get until it goes all the way through. And, and that's the first layer of hardening that's happening in our hearts when we start to drift. Right, that, that first layer of hardening. I, don't, I just don't care about fighting sin. I just don't love the, the gospel. It doesn't, it doesn't thrill me like it, like it used to. Uh, and and that, that hardness starts to seep deeper and deeper into our hearts. We have to address it immediately. If there's drifting in your life, in the Christian faith, you're not holding fast to faith. Are you drifting in church attendance? Or Bible reading? In in, in, in praying? Cutting yourself slack, more and more slack, and, 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 and drifting a little bit further? Um letting a little sin in right a, a little a little selfishness won't hurt a little gossip won't hurt a little gluttony won't hurt a little sabbath breaking won't hurt a little uh, a, a little a little putting myself first won't hurt oh really that, that that's hardening coming in that's, that's drifting coming in so brothers and sisters no matter the pressures against you from the culture, or the inclinations of your own old, sinful habits or just your plain exhaustion, hold fast the faith. Why? You have a high priest, he sympathizes you with, in your, with you in your weakness, he's praying for you. You have all the resources that you need in him not to drift. Don't drift. Hold the faith. And then second, the second command in light of these things. And it's wonderfully precious. Go to the throne of grace. Go to the throne of grace. Verse 16. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Okay. Pastor, you tell me to hold fast to faith, but I am tired. I am weak. Sin is strong. So many pressures against me. So many interruptions. What am I to do? Go to the throne of grace and find grace to help in time of need. You have a high priest there. And in him, God has promised to give you everything you need. Everything you need, no matter how tired you are or how hard it's getting. Everything you need. Um, Do you want grace to sin less? Grace to obey more? Grace of God to come and flood your weaknesses with his strength. Do you, want, do you want his help when you're facing trials and you're being tested and tempted? The only place you can find strength, uh, real spiritual strength in your weakness, is in the throne of grace of God. You can go boldly to the throne of grace and ask him and he will give it. So take your weakness and your grief and the struggle to him. You know it's hard, uh, uh, but, but he, he understands Uh, He understands and he sympathizes and uh, go to him and say, Lord, you know, you know that this is a hard life I'm, I'm walking through and that there are many things resisting my my desires for you. Lord, I confess my sin. Please give me more grace. Lord, you persevered. Give me your spirit that I can persevere. Lord, you held fast the faith. You made the good confession. Give me your spirit. Give me your grace today to make the good confession, no matter how hard it gets. You can't do it yourself. But there is all grace. All grace in Him. So, so go to the throne of grace. Go every day. Go in the morning when you wake up to the throne of grace and ask Him for grace for that day. Go, go as you lay down to bed. Ask Him for grace. Um, go, go, to, go to Him when temptation springs on you out of nowhere. Right? That old habit comes back or that new temptation comes. Go to Him. And say, Lord, give me grace. I, I don't want to do this. Please be my help. Be my strength. Go to Him boldly. Humbly, but with confidence. As a child runs in to meet his dad. Right? Lord, You have all grace. Won't You give it? You've promised in Your Son to give it. You have a great high priest. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank You that He is our great high priest. All sufficient for us. Sympathetic to us. And the One who prays for us. Lord, we pray that we would hold fast to faith and continue to run to your throne of grace and find mercy to help in our time of need. Lord, give us perseverance with joy. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.